leaders have to learn how to show love and individuals have to learn how to ask for what they want, the love they need. And that's the basics. Welcome to Be More, a podcast by Pecan. This is where everyone at an organization can hear different and meaningful perspectives on how we can all thrive in this ever-changing and constantly evolving world of work. I'm your host, Patrick Cornoyer. This is the last episode of Be More for 2021, and I cannot think of a better guest to have us wrap up this year. Dr. Beverly Kay, or as she goes by, Bev Kay, is an author, she's a speaker, and quite frankly, she is one of the most influential HR thought leaders that I believe we have had in the past 40 years. She is a internationally recognized name as a professional who is dedicated to helping individuals, managers, and organizations understand the practical how-to principles of employee development, employee engagement, and employee retention. In 2018, ATD honored her with their Lifetime Achievement Award, recognizing her advanced knowledge and extensive practice across the talent development field. Bev has been inspiring me for my entire professional career. And today's conversation, I feel, is so special. It's special to me because Bev shares her personal career journey. She shares with us some moments that were incredibly unexpected and how she did not let anything keep her from building her journey forward and getting to where she is today. So we're going to jump right into the conversation. Bev, thank you so much for joining me today. You are very welcome. We're going to have a great conversation. Bev and I have been preparing for the past couple of minutes, and this is the last episode of the last season of the year that will be launched in early December. and. I could not be happier that we are able to have this conversation, Bev. I have been following your thought leadership, your perspective for my entire career, quite frankly. And I've had this list of podcast guests ever since I started the podcast that I really wanted to have on. And you have been at the top of that list. So I'm (laughs) glad we could work it out. And again, a very heartfelt thank you from a career people practitioner to you for everything that you've done and everything that you continue to do and for being on the podcast. So thank you, Bev. Thank you. (laughs) Everything you said means so much, you know, because to the person inside, it's never enough. Mm -hmm. You don't see yourself the way you just said you saw me. Mm -hmm. So I'm both mortified. I'm embarrassed. I'm turning red, but I need to swallow what you just said. Yes. And it doesn't quite get down. <laughs> well, well, let's tell the world a bit about you. Many, many people that are listening to this conversation know who you are and definitely know about 
particularly recent thought leadership that you've brought out into the world. But you have quite an interesting story of your career. And I'd like to start there because we've been talking a lot about career development, career journeys, and it's a challenge right now in the workplace for people to see what their journey is or what their futures are. And that future is just not always clear. And I love having people on that have had different paths and unexpected turns in their career journeys. And and yours is an interesting one. So can you tell us a bit about how your career has developed and progressed over the past X amount of years? 45, (laughs) 50, 50 50 years. years. Okay. So we want to hear all about it. So tell us how it all unfolded. Well, you know, I am proud. I'm 78. And now you're supposed to say, but you don't look it. (laughs) Not a day over 30. (laughs) Good. So when I went off to college, a girl could only be a secretary, a nurse, or a teacher. That was it. It was in the 60s, and I chose teaching. And of all of teaching, of course, it was elementary school teaching because you grow up, you move home, you live in your hometown, and you teach, and you marry. And I went to a state teacher's college And after four years, I realized everybody's going to be a teacher. I wanted to be something different. And I didn't know what that was, but I knew the only way to do it is to go to not go home into my home in Passaic, New Jersey, but to go to grad school. So I actually applied to three grad schools in three different programs only in cities that I thought would give me a social life. Because if you didn't have a hubby or whatever, then you better have a career you like. So only one school, I applied to a school in New York, a school in Boston, and a school in Washington. And the one that came through with money was George Washington, Washington, D.C., for a uh, master's in college administration. So off I went, and I was one of these gung-ho, rah-rah college kids. So it made sense. And I entered the field of higher education administration for a good number of years, seven or eight, and worked at schools that that were the elite. And I think my early interest in career was I watched these brilliant students thinking, If I'm an A student in an A school, I will graduate and have an A profession and an A life. And no one had contingency plans. And I watched as many of those students, brilliance, came back. Things didn't work the way they thought it would. And I think that lodged in my head. Like there is no A line for an A life. Nothing is promised. So you better have contingency plans. And during the years of college deaning and student leadership, the world of leadership development opened to me. The world of organizational development opened to me. The world of sensitivity training opened to me. And I went after all of it. And I even 
talked my way into the Sloan School of Management as an auditor of all their courses in organization development. So I had a lot of guts. I don't know how I did it, but I did it. And at the Sloan School, I was exposed to the big leaders in the field of culture and organization thinking and leadership. And when I I moved to California to follow my man, who I who the whole reason I liked him was he said he was moving to California. I was we were both in Boston and I said I'll never go. And so I relaxed in the relationship and boom, you know, it worked and so when I got to California, I took a job at Pomona College and I saw an ad that said they were looking for administrators in higher ed to go back for doctorates and come back and change higher ed. And at the bottom of it, it said, please post, we'll pay 75% of your salary, your current salary tax-free, all of your tuition, everything. And I ripped it off the bulletin board, stuck it in my pocket and said, well, like hell, I'll post. That's for me. And went back to school. So the program was a cross between the ed school and the management school. And I loved it. I don't think I would have gone to UCLA any other way than through this fellowship program. And when it came time for the doctoral dissertation, I chose careers. And I chose career development in organizations which I knew very little about. I just really was in deep wonderment about how does corporate America, at the time it was all US-centric, grow or not grow people. And my committee wanted me to do phenomenological research, which means you study a phenomenon and you build a theory about it. And I had no idea what they were talking about. And I was a Jersey girl. And, you know, we don't study phenomenons. We just like do it. And I failed my dissertation three times because what I brought to my committee, they said, that can't be it. That can't be your theory. So go start again. And at the third start, you know, tears, everything. I hired someone to listen to me talk about what I found in my data. And with another human being looking at me interested and saying, and then what, and then what, all of a sudden the theory emerged. And finally, when I went back that next time, my committee said, I think you've got it. You know, now go write it. So you present what you're going to do. And then, so I think that's really where it all started Uh, because the dissertation turned into a book. Prentice Hall published it. And the book was titled Up is Not the Only Way. It was published in 82. And only one chapter was really about career mobility 
The rest was uh, the systems. How do all the HR systems contribute to really the development of a career? And HR people read the book and said, well, can you come do that here? And before I knew it, I was doing that one company after another and then needed more people and then delved into, well, how do we train managers and how do we train employees to have that conversation? So I knew there were those two key players and I knew that the surround sound were the systems that support or don't support that conversation. So I'm going to take a time out. I'm curious, what is your perspective right now on how are organizations doing? Like, do you think that they're focusing in the right areas? Do you think it's time to reset? Do you think, what do you see right now happening in in companies? Like, where do you think we're at? You know, partly I want to pull my hair out and I want to say, why didn't you hear me yes. 40 years ago? Not only around, I mean, career mobility, up is not the only way. I have shouted it from rooftops. I've built training programs, everything about up is just one route. And I can tell you the others. And then, and now all of a sudden, career mobility is a big thing. And Every tech company is saying, we're going to show you how the different ways you can be mobile. We're going to look at your skills. Skills alone doth not the marriage make, period. And I do not know why that word skill is so humongous, because it's more than that. And so that makes me want to pull my hair out. And now with the headline, The Great Resignation, I want to pull my hair out again because 20 years ago, we wrote Love Them or Lose Them. And we said, basically, be nice, you know, show love. And here's 26 ways to show love. And now everybody's resigning. So we're back again to show, duh. And so partly, you know, on the up is not the only way thing, I told my husband, I want my gravestone to say, now, Beverly, up is the only way. <laughs> and I will go to heaven and that will be it. But so, yes, partly it's pulling my hair out. And, and partly it's finally everybody is seeing the importance of I happened to pick two areas that are evergreen, mm-hmm. the career development and engagement and retention. And I happened, I think maybe it's my Jersey roots to say it's simple, you know, it's not rocket science. Here's what it is in its simplest, you know, and I'm married to a rocket scientist, <laughs> a real one. And um, he always says, can't you say it's not brain surgery? (laughs) But it really is the basics. And some people have never been taught them. And some people have never had someone who holds that 
belief system manage them mm-hmm. so they don't know how to manage others. And I wonder what dent have I? I know I've made a dent because I meet people who said, I have your handout from 40 years ago. <laughs> and now maybe the world is saying we need people to find their career passion. or And, and I'd add an S to the end of the word passion because people don't just have one, they have many. And that leaders have to learn how to show love and individuals have to learn how to ask for what they want, the love they need. And that's the basics of all those books. Yeah, this book, Love Them or Lose Them, it's it's quite impactful because for my entire career, I, I truly have felt that vulnerability, transparency is a absolute strength, not a weakness. And in the corporate world, I was just uh, talking on a panel the other day, and one of the the uh, moderator asked me the question, "What is one thing that you've seen change with within yourself or with your other, you know, fellow executive leaders or senior leaders at an organization?" And I said, "I am finally seeing vulnerability in executive and senior leadership, and I love it. I embrace it. It is okay to say." I'm worried. I don't know the answer. I have mental health challenges as well. I am anxious about the future. Like that does not mean that you are a weak leader, right? That right. means you are a incredibly strong leader because you're willing to open up to your team. And so this concept of love in the workplace, uh, I, I believe it is an absolute necessity and it is unique to every employee. And I believe it is our responsibility, not just as leaders, but as every employee, as a member of a team, a member of a work community, we are responsible for figuring out how we can show that love and respect and support to each other. Right. So you have this next book, which again, I think is an amazing title. You have all these brilliant titles to your books, by the way, like every single one. It's catchy. I love anything that Says it all. It does. And my publisher believes that the title yes. should say the, what the whole book is about. It does. And so this one, Help Them Grow or Watch Them, watch go. them go. Exactly. When, I've, when I read that one, I was like, again, I know what I'm going to be getting when I read this book, So, which is amazing. And this is all about really organizations thinking, critically thinking about if you don't focus on your people, somebody else will. Somebody else is going to. If you don't focus on individual growth and development plans and that you don't take every single person's needs and expectations around their own personal development into account, they will go somewhere else. And so tell us a bit about what about this book and, and what did you love about writing this book? What do you want the world's to walk away with when they read this book? The Love Them book. The Help Them Grow and oh, Watch Them. the Help Them Grow book. Yeah. Making the conversation easier. Yes. Practical. You know, when I developed the career, and you know, only one book, the first book, did I write alone. Every other book I collaborated because writing alone is so lonely. Mm. But I always believed 
and it's in Help Them Grow that there are five words that start with a P that everyone, no matter what level, wherever, has to think about to plan their own career. And it's person, the who am I question, the self-awareness, it's perspective, it's my brand, my reputation, how am I seen, it's place, how are things changing and how will that change affect me, it's possibilities with an S on the end in neon that says, don't make just one. And I have always talked about six possibilities. And then it's plan. And those five, and I've called them different things, and they're embedded in help them grow. I know are key to the individual planning their career at any level. And I know that the manager and needs to do that for themselves, those five Ps, and needs to have the ability to play the five L's, to listen, to level, to look ahead, to leverage those options, and to link people to the paths they need to go on. And so it's interesting that that is what came to me back in 1982, not in in even those words, but I found that I loved designing training. You know, I come from the age of flip charts and magic markers and love when you can walk out of a room and say, that's not so hard. Is that all there is? I could do that. The I could do that is the mark of, for me, uh, nailing it. And, you know, the other thing I think of when you said, you know, did you ever think you'd be doing this now? I was and always have been and still am a serious stutterer so that the thought that I make my living now often doing keynotes, etc. And I never stutter on stage. I do stutter tremendously off stage. And the stuttering. So when I was young, I went to every elocution, all of that. And, you know, I learned that if I stutter, so what? You know, that, and I learned to say, you know, I'm a stutterer, hang in. But to think of the me in elementary school and high school ever doing what I'm doing now. So I did not let the stuttering stop me. I said, just stutter and you're not going to pass out. And, you know, it's not what they'll remember about you. But I had to learn that in a couple of hard ways. So that's just an aside. And often when I'm teaching, I'll say to a group, if you think the person in the front of the room has it all together, think again. Because while you might see skills up here, you have something I don't have. And I'll say, here's an example. And we all carry that thing that could stop us that we have to work against, I think. 
I'm going in all directions, I know. Well, and that's what I love. And that's what I love <laughs> about this <laughs> these conversations is there's no set path. And first off, thank you very much for sharing that story because that is very inspiring. But also it brings to the forefront that the expectations that we have today, and we have a lot of younger, and when I say younger, not so much age-wise younger, but career-wise, we have younger career audience that also listens to this podcast. And many of them are first jobs or have just had their first job, maybe two or three years in the marketplace, in the workplace. And I feel that right now is a very interesting time for younger generations in the workforce. Again, I don't like, like to make blanket statements, but the younger generations in the workforce had a very, and I say had because it was taken away from them in many ways with this whole pandemic, had such a, a social connection in the workplace. People say to me all the time, oh, well, you know, it has to be, it's so hard. And, and I believe, and this, I'm not diminishing this at all. It is incredibly hard when parents are at home with their children and, you know, their workplace became their, their home place became their workplace. And it's like, oh, I have all of these juggling competing priorities and my, you know, my kids are out of school. And like, and I, the world felt for, for people that had all of these extra competing priorities that were going on in their lives. And I absolutely did as well. But I believe there is this, there was this almost not forgotten, but unspoken about challenge for young people in the workplace where they just out of university or maybe not university in workplace for the first time living in an apartment or a flat in London or in some city with you know three or four different people because they want to have this young life right and they're they're just starting out their careers and then all of a sudden they're forced they go to work and they make friends at work and they have social connections at work. And after work, they go out for drinks or for dinner. And all that was taken away in a day for a lot of these generations in the workplace, younger generations in the workplace. And this particularly the story and what you were just talking about, I think is a very big inspiration point for young people in the workplace today that maybe are struggling with saying, I just don't know what is next. I don't know I feel like I have things that are holding me back. I feel like now even more so I have things holding me back because my social connections aren't there. I'm still working from home. Do I want to go to a different job where I can have social interactions because they're allowing their employees to go back to the office? I mean, these are honest conversations that that people are having right now, which is just amazing to me. But I think your that story that you just told us really helps to put into perspective for some of these younger generations of Look, you know, it's things will work out and you can decide and you can build what your future is and be very thoughtful of not letting anything hold you back, I guess, because it's tough for a lot of people still right now. It is, you know, and speak up for yourself. You know, yes. I mentioned that I got the doctorate and it was all funded. And I remember, I don't know if I, when I was younger, maybe I was even more gutsy, but <laughs> I remember going to the head of the program, this fellowship, to see where I stood. And I was 30 at the time. And uh, he looked at my file and he said, I'll never forget it. Beverly, you fall into the gray area. Mm. I said, well, 
what's the gray area? And he said, well, after we take all our first rung candidates and then we take our second rung candidates and then if we have some room, we dip into the gray area. And given your resume, whatever, you're in that gray area. And out of my mouth came, well, I might fall in that gray area off one end of the scale, but my drive and my achievement motivation and my creativity falls off the other end. So I'd say, look again. And he said, thank you. And that was that. And I couldn't believe what came out of my mouth. And two weeks later, I got in. And I always wanted to go back and say, "Yes, did you dip into the gray area or did I get in? You know, but it was speak up for yourself. Yes, yes. And tell the world what you have to offer. Mm -hmm. And if they don't listen, don't give up. Tell the next Maybe. And I don't know whether I'd be able to do that. You know, I, I was you young. Would. I was, I don't know. I bet but. you would, Bev. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you would. We are at the end of our time. I say this, but I, we could talk for another two hours. But <laughs> Bev, honestly, from personally, from me to you, thank you for being a guest on the, on the show and for the conversation. You have been inspiring me for many years. And <laughs> You honestly have. And we have had the opportunity to connect with some of your colleagues, some of your co-authors of your your recent books. And I could not think of a better way to end this, this year by uh, having a conversation with you. Just so inspirational. Thank you for the work that you're doing. And please continue to do it. Please continue to have this amazing voice. We will link every way to find you, your website, so that people that don't know you that are listening can find out more about you. But a heartfelt thank you for your personal story today, because again, you inspire even more people with your these stories that maybe people don't know. So I appreciate you sharing with me and spending, spending some time. And that was Be More, a podcast by Pecan. Be sure to search for Be More in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so that you don't miss out on any future conversations. On behalf of the team here at Pecan, thanks for listening. <laughs>